Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, Nick. Are you bored of drinking big fat shots of Director's Bitter and Ladyboy Chasers at home? Tom, I ruddy bloody am. I'm hopping mad and just want some exciting craft beers to enjoy when I'm watching my Bond videos. That's not too much to ask, is it? Well, have I got some good news for you. The fantastic chaps at Beer52 have given us a special offer they'd like us to share with our listeners. Can I just shock you? I, I like special offers. Do, do tell me more. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis... Cover the postage cost of £5.95 and you'll be sent a box of eight cracking craft beers plus a magazine and two beer-appropriate snacks. Wow, that is a real breath of fresh air. So you're telling me to get a free case of eight unique craft beers from Beer52, I just need to go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis and cover the postage costs of £5.95? Yep, it's literally that simple. It really is lovely stuff. Oh, sometimes you want to say, "Soddle this wine, just give me eight craft beers. And I've really got to say this, Nick. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Mm. Yep, each month members are sent a case with a different theme. Past themes have included Belgium, Korea, California, New Zealand and many more. But what if I don't like dark beers? Ah, they've got that covered too. If you don't like dark beer, you can choose a light beer option. And you can pause or cancel at any time. Simply go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis and just pay £5.95 postage to get all this now. Crash bang wallop, what an offer. Eight free beers, a magazine and two snacks for less than £6 postage. Mine's not a pint, mine's a box of eight craft beers. I'll drink to that. (laughs) 
am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yup, absolutely. Yup, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Done! Monkey tennis? A little pierce my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis? Radical. Awesome. Mega. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmunds is a total wazzard of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, who the hell is that? Like, this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hello and welcome to Monkey Tennis episode 129. This week, myself, Adam Brooks and Tom Dark are in the interviewer's chairs. Uh, But before we set the chat amongst the pigeons with our guest, here's a quick reminder of how you can get in touch with us and, if you like, how you can support the show. So you can email us, thepartridgepod at gmail.com, on facebook.com, it's slash thepartridgepod, on Twitter we're at thepartridgepod. Instagram, it's at Monkey Tennis Pod. Uh, every now and then, somebody leaves us a voice note on the Monkey Tennis Hotline, and we'll put it in an episode. That's 07923600017. And if you are enjoying what you hear, for free, I might add, uh, this festive giving time of year, why not drop us the price of a cup of coffee to show your appreciation at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis. Thanks, Adam. Today, we are joined by a very special guest indeed. Having recently departed the BBC gravy train after 14 glorious years of dour and self-deprecating breakfasts and afternoons on Six Music, today's guest is now finally giving the world of podcasting a warm and loving embrace with his new podcast shows The Lineup and Rockinori. But more importantly than that, we finally pinned him down to chat about Alan Gordon Partridge, the only broadcaster we hold in higher regard than him. Yes, ladies and gents, that's right, it's only ruddy bloody Sean Keaveney. Yeah, Hang on, let me just open this bottle of Prosecco to celebrate. Mm. <laughs> there we go. Oh, look at that. That's a partridge-esque bit of foley there. Ooh, Wonderful. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks so much for joining us, Sean. Um, let's start at the beginning, Alan-wise. Uh, can you recall when you first encountered Alan, what your earliest memories were, at what point in the uh, Partridge universe you jumped on the uh, the Partridge gravy train? Well, it would have been... I I don't think I was an early enough adopter uh, to have caught the... On the hour, I think it was called originally, wasn't it? The, what mm-hmm. became the day-to-day on BBC mm-hmm. television. But I think that me and my northern mates, we've always been devotees of poured over various different parts of, of the comedy, you know, sort of spectrum. And so I think we got on to the day-to-day quite quickly. And I guess it was there, really, you know, all that sort of fantastic early Alan um, as shot through the Chris Morris prism, you know, all that, eat my goal, the f- you know, the goalkeeper has football pie all over his jersey, you know, all that. That that's I think that that was, was our entry point. Twat! Um, <laughs> all that stuff, you know, the 1994 World Cup. Um, so yeah, that was probably the, the the when we got on the train. Would you say that that's remained your your favourite Alan, the sort of slightly more surreal, the, the Alan by committee a little bit, or do you think as he's developed and they kind of rooted him more into reality that you that you prefer some of the stuff that's come since? Oh God, I, I think it's impossible to say. It's like for me. It's, and, and, and the more sort of interviews that I do, and, and I'm on the sort of um, you know the business end, as it were, as opposed to asking the questions, the more I realise how much I repeat myself. 
and end up talking about the same themes all all the time over and over again. So I always, at least once an interview, I talk about the Beatles. Maybe once every three interviews, I'll talk about one of the members of Led Zeppelin. You know, I, I've, it's, it's like we've got this small gene pool, genet- uh, sort of culturally. But um, it's a bit, or, or it's a bit like your favourite children, I think, with something like Partridge. Coogan and the teams around him have done so much unbelievably brilliant work since then, since the start of the 90s till now. It's just a matter of what you feel like at that particular time, you know. I do love surreal early Chris Morris Allen. Um, I love that sort of bouncing back era Allen very much, the Travel Tavern Allen, because it, and that North North digital stuff. Because a lot of it's sort of... Uh, the, the older I get, the more I realise that I am a sort of like a real life ver- IRL version of Alan in a lot of ways, <laughs> um, and that that is almost a joke, but not a joke at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, just just looking back on things like seeing Alan, should I say Steve and Chris Morris do that interview about you know when he upset the farmers. Mm. and hearing all, all that sort of flowery Chris Morris language come back into Alan's universe again is, is fantastic. You know, the sort of uh, spinal column on a bap, um, you know, he get and he gets the cow dropped on him. Um, so I love all that surreal stuff. But I do love, I do love it, every iteration because it's like watching somebody's life. And, it, and I love what they've done with him. That they've, He's so woven into our lives that he's... I worry about Steve Coogan genuinely. I was talking to Nina Conti about this last week. I did, I did a, an interview with her, the great, the phenomenal ventriloquist and comedian. And we were talking about the, 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 psych, the psychology of what it's like to do her job and how these characters are, are versions of or levels of her own personality. And I was just postulating how difficult it is going to be at some point in the future if Steve ever decides to kill off Alan. It's like Alan is so much of a person now that there would be a genuine bereavement. And not just for Steve Coogan, I think for all of us, we'd all be like, what the... Alan's died. (laughs) I I probably need to take... I mean, I'm taking probably about a year off work at the moment by accident, but I, I probably would have to just like lie under a duvet for a month if Alan died. So... Very long and pointless answer to the question. Uh, there is no favourite part of that that whole universe. It's just I love living in it. That's fair. I mean, and it's yeah, it's interesting to your point about that he is basically a fully formed person. That you know, there's an archivist somewhere that's written up his timeline, and obviously there's an autobiography that covers more or less every inch of everything he's ever done. And also, if they ever do decide to can it, it will feel it. You know, in some senses, it will feel a bit like a genuine bereavement, but it'll also feel a bit like a murder because someone's got to decide to do it yeah, at some point as that's well. And, true. You know, it's, it's almost it's going to feel like a selfish act. I think when, yeah. when we see Steve pull the plug on something that everybody loves so much. I, th- um, I I wonder if he's thought about it. I don't know if you guys have talked to him, but you know, I wonder if he has in his head that he wouldn't tell anybody a sort of yeah. yeah either he dies with me, you know, he dies when I die, or if he yeah. thinks. If I make it to seventy, that's when I'm that's when I'm throwing him in the in the grave, you know. Yeah, like a partridge endgame, if you will. Yeah. I mean, knowing what what we do know of Steve, I would say I think I think the latter part's definitely true. I can't imagine yeah. him wanting to hand the reins over of the yeah, property to anyone that's else. True. I think he's very protective of brand partridge, but yeah, whether he's got a, whether he's got an idea in mind of you know this is how he's going to die and this is when it's going to happen, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I wonder whether they, whether Steve or any of Steve and the writing team have ever considered killing him off because, you know, you could imagine maybe 
I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s, they might have toyed with that idea possibly. But I think, you know, on reflection now, they'd be very pleased that they haven't. Because yeah. you look at like, there's been so much more Partridge that has happened post mm. I'm Alan Partridge that perhaps people would never have expected. Do you know it, what I think would be poetic? And I hope I hope this isn't making light of a, a, of a dark situation, but for him to take a leaf out of Bowie's book and to yeah. have to have the death of Partridge recorded and locked in yeah. for for release when when Steve himself goes <laughs> I bet he's I you I know you've said it I bet that's what he's done it's like <laughs> you're right though it's like the rich stuff that's come recently you know I got COVID for Christmas last year right that's what I what got for Christmas yeah, yeah 22nd of December <clears throat> 23rd of December you've got COVID 24th of December mm. I lost my taste and smell um, and, and it was it, the reason the only reason I mention this apart from the fact that I always mention it because I'm always looking for, for sympathy is that one of the things that got me through it was the Beastie Boys documentary uh, listening to ill communication for some reason um, and, but also uh, Alan Partridge from the Oast House uh, you know the Audible uh, series yeah yeah and, and I, I I did think for, as, as somebody who's toyed with radio comedy in some ways in different iterations myself the 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 level of production on that and the the, the quality of it and the and the depth and I know that I'm, I'm preaching to the inquiry here big time in it but the depth of um of character in it it's just it's it's just breathtaking really I'm just like god like you say Tom it's like thank I bet they thank the lucky the, the god that they they never knocked it on the head back in the day because he can react to everything can't he? it's like on this time he's all that post me to alan alan trying to fit in like a you know like a sort of into modern society and failing mm, mm. utterly and miserably he's just <laughs> so much comedy gold it, but then it's i do also think that it's it's weird to watch as long as richard Madeley is still with us how i said that maybe i'm a bit alan richard Madeley is Alan Partridge for real, isn't he? But like 18 times stronger. Mm. And it's but, at the point now where their paths have crossed in so many ways, it's hard to know who's playing off who yeah. at some points. It's like, Ger- like, Ger- like has- I, know, I know Jeremy Vine, of course, because I used to use him a lot on my show and we're friends. So I think he wouldn't mind me saying this, but he's another one who I think has identified, oh, I do sound a little bit like parody-ish sometimes when I'm saying things, don't I? I think I'll cross, I'll transgress that line, and and no, I haven't got a fucking clue anymore. When when he's taking the piss out of us, or when he's doing it without thinking, you know, it's just like it's the yeah. partridge thing has infected us all. Well, it feels like early doors, the the Noel Edmonds and the Bill Oddies of this world that were getting referenced on Partridge, you know, were very careful to distance themselves. But now it feels like it's such an institution that's been around for 30 years. People who are a bit Partridge are, are actively leaning into it. Yeah, leaning into Partridge. Do you think Do you think someone like Richard Madeley knows what he's doing in that respect, though? I, I do, because he seems like such a kind of... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like he literally, you, you never know what he's going to say next no. when he's broadcasting. I, I, I wonder th- whether it's calculated or he's just that much of a kind of madcap entity. I think you, I, well, I think I wouldn't be surprised if, and again, you people who, who, who are devotees of this will know better than me, but if, if Steve Coogan fed a bit of Madeley into the front, in, in, into Partridge anyway, so it's that way around. But yeah, mm, I think Richard mm. Medley is so, yeah. uh, you know, Julie and I, you know, uh, making love. And uh, we like, like to listen to the Beastie Boys. And uh, sometimes I give us something to bite down on. 
and uh, that's just the way we do it, you know, and it's fantastic. Anyway, coming up after the break, uh, Gina uh, DeCampo is going to show us how to make churros. You know, it's that that whole, that that was already there, so I th- I'm pretty sure that he's been fed into Alan. But no, it's like a fucking human yeah. centipede, and Richard Medley has consumed so much Alan Partridge, he doesn't know who he is anymore. I think that's a really interesting point. There's definitely a kind of um, a self-fulfilling uh, nature of the character in terms of, I guess... In the very early TV iterations, something like Knowing Me, Knowing You, I think that very much lent into things like Wogan and stuff yeah. like that. So you do kind of go with the the perhaps the key broadcasting uh, kind of qualities of the day, I, I, I guess. So yeah, that that does kind of make sense that it isn't just it isn't just broadcasters being I'm going to copy that. It's also Coogan and the writing team going this is what's happening in the world of broadcasting these days. This is what we need to bring into it. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. It's it's like, it's the same in my game, you know, in radio broadcasting. Every, it's The same thing could be said of Smashy and Nicey in, in the early 90s, you know, sort of uh, White House and Enfield creating those characters that were so not perfect DLTs, Tony Blackburns, mm. etc. And, and of course, the extent that they took parts of those people's um, the things that they'd done and sort of lampooned them, and and it's very difficult then to remember which, which one happened on the TV show and which one happened in real life. They've mixed it all together so perfectly. And now, twenty, thirty years along the line, if you, especially if you listen to radio two a lot of the time, um, it's like culture has digested Smashy and Nicey, and uh, these these DJs and presenters have not all of them, some of them, they shall remain nameless, and. Um, and it's almost like they're they're doing smashy and nicey themselves, but in a post-ironic way. Like we, it's just it's very confusing to know where, where real life begins and where fantasy starts. But then I'm, that's my my whole life's confused like that. <laughs> that's why I'm sitting here dressed as a fucking unicorn. <laughs> We thought that was just for us. No. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, having failed to tie you down on a favourite Alan moment episode, etc., are there quotes and lines that you that immediately come to mind when you think of, of Alan? Uh, have you uh, uh, woven some into, into your uh, shows, into, into radio wow. over the years? Like, What are the go-to uh, to Alanisms for you? Oh, there's so much. I mean, for a start, we had a thing called the Cartwall at the radio, at the radio uh, which contained... Uh, I don't know, seven or eight thousand different sound clips, beds, and things. And there was a, there was a partial wall that was Alan, you know. Dan, 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 kiss my face, kiss my face, lady boys, lady boys, you know. So I would use, I would weave those in occasionally whenever somebody called Dan uh, texted. Of course, they get a three three Dan's. But um, there's just so much to go at with that. It's like, um, where where does one begin? Kiss my face. Um, you know, any any as far as episodic things are concerned and, and characters like I noticed that you did an interview two or three years ago with with Simon didn't you with Michael yeah uh, yes uh, forgive me I forgot the, the actor so Simon Greenall Simon Greenall one of the great character actors of any generation you know and um, that relationship any episode with that relationship in it it just blows me away because again it's just so you know it's Alan the the, as a child, isn't it, be at the feet of this ex-SAS man with an impenetrable accent and, and uh, you know, just trying to impress each other, the copper suit moment, you know. The, the, <laughs> the, the, there's just, you know, the, the, those moments like, um, uh, book me now or wait for Cliff Thorburn. 
thank you very much you know uh, <laughs> all that that kind of um the whole bouncing back stuff that 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 you know a man on his uppers i've stood on a spike i watched that again the other day because it, well, it's one of the great th- gifts of doing this podcast with you wonderful guys is that you get an, an ex i'm working love i'm working yeah i'm watching two hours of alan partridge yeah for, it's for a work thing. No, I can't put the kids to bed. You know, it was like that. Happy uh, to help. Happy to Thank help. you very much. And uh, <laughs> But that whole bit where Alan is at the golf club and he's he's about to pass out because he stood on the spike and he's being sick and he's uh, setting off the, uh, you know, the, the, the gyros and stuff. S- some of these people have come from Stokelyn. <laughs> you know, uh, all that, that... Oh, it was a good year, you know. The desperation, that that kind of uh, have I got a second series? That it's all woven. It's my, basically it's like watching my own life a lot of the time, and uh, I guess that's probably what I'm talking about. You know, uh, th- there's so much recognition in there for me. But then, what's interesting? I'm 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 a sort of lower middle ranking media person. But for everybody else who loves it, who isn't. It's the the greater truth, isn't it? It's this it's this guy who wishes, thinks he's better than he is, who's unbelievably flawed, uh, but who's kind of likable as well. It's the whole, it's the classic sitcom, British sitcom um, sort of setup, isn't it? It's, you know, somebody like John Cleese. It's it, you can see that the lineage of it, and it's all oh, that like Harry H. Corbett in his Steptoe and Son. That that whole thwarted man who should be better than he is thing, you know. I just think it's so universal and beautiful. And uh, but nobody does it better. And that's why there are that's why we've got whole podcasts dedicated to it and people happy to go, I'll talk for an hour about that because I fucking love it. But yeah, you know, all that's like uh, when he talks about that episode I've I've got gone into the sort of 97 era a bit here but the Stephen Mangan episode, Dan. That's the, he's the yeah. titular Dan, isn't he? Mm, that yeah. whole bromance, and you know, when he's talking about that that program he's got on whatever the the like the distant satellite chat skirmish, it's called skirmish, or something, yep. isn't it? You know that, <laughs> that whole thing of. I mean, I literally am writing a memoir as we speak. I, I literally am. So that is my bouncing back, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's, there's no distance left to run here between me and Alan in many ways. And, I'd, I and if there was well. a North Norfolk Digital, I'd be going for a fucking job on it. <laughs> well, there is a North Norfolk Digital now. That's that is that now is a real, real thing. Oh, I didn't know that. No, and so I like get your I like to think because they could have called it anything. So I like to think that is that is yeah. art becoming life. That's that's partridge oh, influence. God. Someone's picked that because of. Alan, I think. Um, I also like to imagine, Sean, uh, there's points where you're writing your memoir and you're thinking, oh, this is getting a bit too bouncing back. And then yeah. other points where you're thinking, oh, I could make this a bit bouncing back. Yeah, yeah. oh, exactly. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. You don't know when when you're... I've done loads of stuff on the radio over the years where I have... And I would like to think, I've been doing radio shows for 20 years and I've always had a sort of a style, I suppose, by accident. And I've after about 12 or 13 years, you go, oh, that's actually, that's my style, isn't it? You know, when you start and the first three or four bosses that you have say, 
you know, it was great. It was a really good show. Uh, but could you just put a good, bit more energy into it, maybe? Or, you know, just like your voice sounds a little bit like you're bored, you know? And for the first few years, you think, oh, fucking hell, I've got to sound a bit chirpier. And then you realize, no, that's my fucking style, you know? But like, but but equally, like some of the th- features that you might do or some of the text throwouts that you might do, they're so... I, I don't know. It's a bit like what we were talking about earlier. I no, no longer know whether it it's just my... In, I love the minutiae of life. You know, like, okay, 64046, how much change is in your pocket? You know, that's the text of today. And, and you can get an hour out of that on the radio if you do it right. But I don't know how much of that is influenced by him in the first place or whether it's just that me and Alan are, have got similar similar tastes. It's difficult I, th- I think know. that's... um. I think a lot of uh, particularly kind of like radio broadcasters that are big Alan fans definitely feel like it's like we spoke to John Robbins a few weeks ago. And I think it's definitely a thing when you're getting into the the phone-ins and the text-in topics, that's always feels like that's the bit that tips over it most into real-life partridge because it is about the mundane aspects of life that kind of where those uh, interactions with the public always work best. But that's also where Partridge's kind of broadcast persona lies as well, yeah. isn't it? absolutely yeah. like you know uh, what i do think and again to name absolutely no names but i do think there are broadcasters out there who have a similar you know often with alan there's a, there's a little disdain for some of the people that are coming on the line you know he's he, obviously he's a, he's a he's a massive snob isn't he essentially and that will come through sometimes with oh, you know and there are, there are people who some people who are a bit like that you just get the feeling that these if it weren't for the bloody listeners that enjoy the, sh- the job, you know. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, uh, if, you, if you're writing a memoir at the moment, have you read or listened to the Partridge books, I, Partridge and Nomad? Amazingly, I haven't. No, I've, again, I'm, I'm oh. saving those for the next time I get COVID or I break my pelvis. Yep, it's sounds like, like a plan. It's like Game of Thrones, you know, I've got no interest in watching it. Or at all. However, if I do shatter my pelvis in a painting, uh, painting and decorating accident, I've got it all to go. So, but yeah, I've not. I mean, that, that's why um, my brother's, my brother should be on this, Paul, because he's even more into. Uh, he get he's, he's a bit more encyclopedic than I am. I'm a generalist, and he's a bit more specialist. And he's like, he 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 will have listened to all of those, and uh, would have ready quotes. But I, that's why. He he cajoled me to listen to the uh, the Oast House, and I, I did love that one. What are the what are those ones like then? The the uh... well, well, I mean, I think if if you've loved the Oast House, I think you would absolutely love the books. And I I think probably collectively on the podcast, we would always champion the audiobook version above yeah. the the printed version, just because you're getting Coogan doing it in Alan's yeah. voice. I'd also like, say that the yeah. the the quality bar is set quite high. In that I think. Everyone's expectations around a fictional character's book are fairly low, and often, you know, mm, there's mm. there's lots of of let's say lesser characters or lesser comedy vehicles over the years where the book is very clearly a cash-in, whereas yeah. these books really do feel like they exist on their own. It's a labour of love. They could have been much more straightforward, much more like heavily leaning on the Iron Man and Partridge material or years, yeah. you know, but, but they've, they've made something that stands upon its own, I think. Yeah. They're, they're, but I think that the, the, the two books are, I think are both quality additions to the kind of the, the world or the, the Alan Partridge universe, as, as we call it. They're, they're not just, you know, they could definitely be, we've all seen these sort of TV cash in books that are essentially could just be a few scripts and a load of glossy photos and maybe some 
fictionalized letters or yeah, something yeah and that's all it Lazy. ever is but yeah they, they properly add to the character and i think the reason why they work so well is because because you're getting alan's narration and alan is an unreliable narrator so you're getting his version of these events that we've seen play out in know me knowing you in i'm alan partridge in mid-morning matters so getting his the character's take on it is where the comedy lies oh, because yeah. you're like well we know that that's actually not what happened or that's actually not what that other character was thinking. Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think particularly I, Partridge, as the audiobook, is one of my favourite pieces of Partridge, probably. I'd really put it up there. Um, so, yeah, if, you've, if you love Oastales, there's no way you won't, you won't love those, I would say. But, however, it might be worth avoiding until you've written your memoir because they might become too it influential, become, I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly do agree. I think that I... Because I do tend to do that. I, I, I soak it up like like eggy bread sometimes you know you spend a bit too much time like i did notice a few months ago my two elder boys i got them into this country oh yeah yeah um, you know kerry and kurt and mucklow and we all got submerged into that universe with with the with my wife and stuff and we watched we boshed all the series pretty quickly because that's what kids do these days of course isn't it do, 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 do. i watched them all dad you've only fucking hell i only saw you yesterday um but I, I did notice that I started to, when I was on air, I, I started sort of talking a bit like him. You know, that kind of way, not not in a West Country accent, but the same kind, kind of, of rhythm, rhythm and stuff. Yeah. It's like, so you're right, I, I've got to be careful when I, because, you know, when people pour over this tome in, in, in years to come off, after I'm dead, you know, the, the Sean Keeney's autobiography and it becomes another central, I don't know if it's going to get taught in schools or not, you know, but it, it's going to be Probably. one of those in, influential texts. I don't want them to think, oh, it sounded like he was listening to Alan Partridge when he wrote. Because <laughs> also, what uh, what I really enjoyed learning was that the um, the Gibbons brothers and Coogan they used. So Tony Tony Blackburn has a memoir called Poptastic. I don't know if you've heard of that, but they use that as quite an influential okay. uh, uh, piece upon their writing of Alan Partridge. So I think they've taken quite a lot of ideas from that but obviously made them more made them more Alan so basically yeah. taking a Tony Blackburn out and put the Alan Blackburn in and it it definitely works it's yeah. like it, it, and again P- P- Tony who is one of the absolute peerless greats and I, I mm. do know very very slightly in fact I did a children in need stand up competition with him in 2012 and uh, he was very very funny funnier even than Jenny Murray I would say um, but but he's another one. He, you're right. He's, he, he's a rich text because again, Smashy and Nicey took some of his yep. life wholesale, didn't they? Like when he uh, he was he split up from the the actor lady Tessa, I forgot her surname, and then he would play the same song every day on his radio show and say, you know, come back to me, which is pathos, <laughs> is Shakespearean in its depth of tragedy. But now ta- tragedy plus time equals comedy, doesn't it? <laughs> so thank you again Tony and Tony's got the last laugh because he's on he's got two shows a week on Radio 2 still even though he's 80 you know he's still yeah and, and I think he's he's very aware <laughs> that he has influenced Smashy and Nicey and Alan Partridge and kind of doesn't really shy away I feel like he doesn't really shy away from no. it I feel like he hasn't really modified what he does or how he broadcasts he's like well this is who I am and, and if this is what creates this rich comedy then so be yeah. it and I think the um yeah, the thing about him playing the song for his ex, I feel like he that sort of stuff seeps into mid-morning matters as well, I yeah. think, with Alan breaking up with Angela and stuff like that. They, they're definitely referencing those those kind of things that have happened as well. Um, I, love I, that. I, I love that in the Oast House, if I remember rightly. I was I did have a temperature at the time, but he, he, has, he goes on a 
he goes on a date, doesn't he? Which plays out over a few episodes, and it, you know it's all quite hopeful at the beginning, and of course, being Alan, he completely fucks it up. But again, you 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 feel for him, don't you? You know, at the same time as laughing yeah. loudly at him. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think I I feel like we'd probably agree that over the years you be- we've actually all become more sympathetic towards him as a character. I think in the early the early iterations, you're like, well. I don't think he's ever an asshole per se, but he's a bit of an idiot mm. and sometimes has not the nicest streak. And I think he's mellowed as a character over over the thirty years. And you do now have sympathy for him when it comes to his relationships and and kind of how he interacts with the opposite yeah. sex, which is I think more fleshed out than in the early days. It was basically him and Lynn, yeah. and you know, and his broken relationship with Carol and that was all you'd ever have to to kind of get into it in the chocolate mousse as well of course (laughs) well and Jill of course lovely lovely Jill by the time you get to to this time he's often the person in the conversation that you're rooting for as well I don't think that Mm, that never used to be true that's true yeah he's up against some some bigger pricks uh this time than he ever was before (laughs) absolutely is it Simon Farnaby who plays yeah Yeah. the brilliant Simon Farnaby so brilliant Uh, yeah he's so great at that kind of character as well the sort of you know sort of a lad in a smoothie kind of git yeah he's got he's got that kind of he carries that inherent smugness across from um, detectorists as well he's you know (laughs) not not a dissimilar (laughs) character there yeah the uh, son of the head of factual programming (laughs) yeah um so sean we were keen to just delve into your uh radio career a little bit to to kind of to uh, I guess to to develop this kind of IRL, this real life partridge elements. So, if we could, if you could tell us a bit about perhaps your your very early days, your beginnings. Am I right that you began with local radio before you went on to XFM? Well, no, I didn't actually. No? Well, no, you're right. You oh. are right. But uh, what it was, that's why again, especially that um, travel tavern era of of Alan. Mm. It's very interesting for me because I think that was around '97 that came out. Yes, yeah, if I'm right. And 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 at that time, I was I'd been drifting like drifting for a good couple of years. My mother was despairing of me because I'd finished my shite degree, living at home, doing terrible. I was I was a citizens advice bureau advisor for nine months, which if anybody knows me, just the most ill. The, the worst choice in the world, you know, sort of scatty moron when it comes to, doesn't, where's that file gone? I've left it on the bus, you know. And then I used to, I was one of those like um, uh, sort of catalogue advisors who would sell teal sweaters to the elderly. I did that. I quite enjoyed that actually. And then I got a job writing radio ads for a GWR group, they were called. Uh, I remember so, GWR, yeah. You remember, yeah. So they used Sh- to, show my age as well there, yeah. But, you know, now it would be like the Magic Group or yeah. uh, Greatest Hits or whatever, but it was GWR then. And so there was two 10 FMs, Better Music Mix for Barcham and Basingstoke. Um, started there, and then I moved up to Wolverhampton. So when that era of Alan was out, I was working in local radio. and But I, was, yeah. I wasn't behind the mic yet. And um, and so I got to absorb all of that that entire world. I watched it. I, in fact, I've never told him this, even though I, I'm a I'm a mate of Steve Wright in the afternoon now. But I remember that we it was it was in an old farmhouse, the the uh, our office, uh, the creatives office at Two Ten FM, and uh, we were in the sort of eaves of this old fire uh, station, and um, 
it was a bit it's an odd thing you could you look down and you could see like the news people and all this and it, there was a big kerfuffle one day and uh, it was like a dignitary had arrived and we didn't know what the fuck was going on and we looked with crane in our necks and it was Steve Wright Steve Wright arrived because I think he used to do a show at 210FM you know like what it would have been 20 years before and he, he was lit it was like Kim and Kanye had turned up you know uh, everybody was con- understandably they were like in local radio especially it's like you're you're a godhead and he he was sort of like oh hello friends yes and this is where of course yes I remember we used to uh we used to have breakfast in here, uh, you know, and all that. But it, and it was it was just like it was a real masterclass in in watching uh, what local radio is and what it's like and who it appeals to. And and I, because I used to be a, a, a copywriter, I used to ride shotgun with all the salespeople, and I still remember them all so well. They were all to a, a man or a woman gorgeous people but like really of a type you know and you would go out you'd be driven out to everywhere from local pine factories to uh jeff's butchers jeff's butchers just off the a34 and 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 you you li- we lived in that world you know and um i remember i did a my first taste of local radio fame was there was a dj called neil james and he for some reason must have liked the cut of my jib and he said would you come on my show on thursday afternoon and just like invent a character. Oh, hang on! Is this basically to be like sidekick Sean? I guess. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. But yeah, he would have been my Alan, and I would have been his Simon. I would have been his Tim Key. And he, I said, sure, yeah, because I, I love writing a bit of comedy in that, you know. And he said, J- um, just be, just pretend that you're. What I'm going to say is, is that you're a local guy who's won the lottery. And that was the premise. And I went in. I've only just remembered this. And I went in and I was like, yep, yeah. and we're going to be talking to uh, uh, Lloyd Lloyd Allen uh, next. Who's uh, won, won uh, uh, the lottery. Tell us a bit about it. And, and 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 I made up this story about how I've got a wooden leg. And I used to um, I used to receive vibrations in it. And, and that's where I got the numbers from. And we just sort of confected this entire character on the spot. And um, it, was, it was just very odd. But it was also... You know, just so great to be with these DJs because they were so. Some of these guys were, were very Allen. You know, you'd have Graham Torrington doing Late Night Love. I, rem- I remember him. Do you remember? remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I think that he, must yeah. have been a syndicated. Show. Torrington yeah, yeah. was syndicated. He was, yeah. and and you could tell Graham was syndicated because he used to drive a, a top of the range BMW uh, from Sintner's the, the real BMW. Money. Yeah. You know, and then it was like. Uh, <laughs> Guy, Guy and Harriet on BBC on, on on breakfast, and Guy, I'll never forget. He it was nineteen ninety seven, and he just got a brand new ninety seven plate VW Golf, and I was so fucking jealous of it, you know. And I also used to watch all how the the, the sort of better performing sales people got slightly better Peugeot three hundred sixes than the ones who weren't doing as well, and the ones that weren't doing as well would. Adrian Olney, who was the sales director, used to really be on him and like, you, you know, he was a bit like a sort of uh, a pound shop Al Pacino, you know. You fucking want, you want the 306 with the automatic gear change. You better do better than, you better bring in that fucking account. You know, and it was all that, that whole, um, it was very important what badge your car was and where it, and which dealership it came from and all that. That entire world was Alan world. And so, that yeah. was my introduction to it for reals, you know. That's some of the stuff I find uh, so fascinating about about Alan is is the sort of 
the kind of the side hustles of 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 people working in radio as well like just the relationship between people you know opening things supermarkets yeah. fairs you know kind of and and the kind of the relationship with like local car dealers and sort of businesses in the area and like obviously the Dante Fire corporate you know the kind of the side step into into well well paid but often quite crushing corporate stuff as well like i feel like that's something that never really got televised before i saw alan doing a lot of it it was beautiful how they did it, and it was so true they did it, and 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 it just again it speaks to that larger, the, the larger dilemmas of life, especially like it's you know do you, are you comfortable being a, a, a big fish in a small pond? That's that's I think what's mm. a lot of it comes mm. down to that actually. That's yeah. the big question: Are you comfortable being a big fish in a small pond? No, is the answer for most people because you you can do it. You can do it for three or four years, and then you start getting ideas bigger than your station and that's alan isn't it that's it's almost like that i remember um the guy who wrote breaking bad uh, <clears throat> boiling breaking bad down to mr chips becomes scarface mm. it's that that's it's that's yeah. the same iteration it's like when do you get too big for your boots and what happens to you and it's like because i thought this a million times i remember i've got it written down in some fucking diary somewhere like 2002 when i've been doing uh my early morning ball breaking early breakfast show for a couple of years by then on London's 104.9 XFM, three till 6.30 AM. And that is one thankless mother time of the day to be doing anything because you end up becoming a carer mostly for the people who are listening. You've got the lonely people and, and the, you know, the people who've just broken up with the boyfriends and girlfriends. And then you've got your people who are on medication and that's basically a lot of your audience you know and that's that's not a piss take that's like yeah. you have a duty of care to yeah. a lot of these people I, you know I've I've not done this to anywhere near the extent you did but I very briefly did a stint on overnights at Red Dragon that's now capital South Wales and had that exact thing yeah, really? you know, very much you without not even a producer there yeah either. not you producer know, just you you in the building can, sometimes it's a, it's a can of little red bull it's it's 14 disturbed callers yeah. it's 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 the the first copy of the next day sun and five yeah. hours to fill absolutely like, yeah my first ever gig uh, was was uh, midnight to 6 a.m on sunday into monday morning six hours of live radio with about 140 listeners you try i mean that's that is the full five loaves and three fishes mate i'm telling you but <laughs> but this is a great but I, I wrote it down somewhere in a diary which was like look sean you know you've got to look at your life choices you've left the north you've left your hearth and home all your friends and family are up there i was traveling up every three or four weeks because i missed everybody that much just try and get a job at key 103 just try and get a job on BBC Manchester. You know, why are you trying to crack London? Why are you trying to... Sorry, that was uh, Barack Obama again. Why, why uh, you know, why are you trying to crack the national stations? Just know your know your level. And, and, and that is still a question for me now. You know, I, having popped out of national radio, it's like just to make it about me for a minute and looking at the, the landscape, I've said this to, to my wife, I've said this to my loved ones. I've been like... I still want to do live radio, but I don't know where I can do it anymore. So maybe I'll just do a few other things, like a few side hustles, a couple of podcasts, bit of voiceover, and maybe, I don't know, just like move to the coast and get like a, a drive time slot on Ocean FM or something and be that big fish in that small pond and open those supermarkets and get that free um, 
what would it be now? It wouldn't be a Lexus now. It wouldn't be a Rover. It would be a not a Prius. It would be the uh, the Gullwing Tesla. You know, get one of those. I might have to have the dealership's name emblazoned on the side of it, but it'd be it'd be worth it to get the free Tesla and to be treated. And every time I go to uh, Rue Hits Indian restaurant, I get a free meal. Yeah, you, you know, can have it emblazoned down the side. Sean Keaveney drives this Tesla. Yeah, and it's like what yes. what is actually wrong with that? Uh, nothing. So. It, but for Alan, it was never, you know, he got a taste of national stardom, didn't he? And then he was like, well, I could be as big as Eamon Holmes. Why am I not as big as Eamon Holmes? I'm more talented than him. And over 30 years, they've had the opportunity for Alan to sort of bob up to the surface and then back down again, you know, like mid-morning matters. Yeah. He's relatively comfortable on yeah. North Norfolk Digital. You know, he's fairly settled. But then the prospect of this yeah. time and being back on the BBC comes back. And so they've been able to sort of have him go through that wave a couple of times. We're not. None of us are um, immune to it at all. It doesn't matter what job you're in or what how you make your living. You, we're all. In, it's that little uh, taste of what could be, and oh, you know, and and that fluffy plumping of the the ego pillows, isn't it? We all enjoy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's interesting because we were going to ask how accurate does the Alan we see in the radio studio feel, but I think we've very much covered that by all of this conversation because everything that you've just talked about are, are things that are scripted and displayed. You know, it's it, it's whether whether it is going to the country fair and judging the marrow competition or or it is like the disturbed callers. So it, it's amazing. I, I you know it's amazing to see they've got it so right. They've got all of those details of local radio life so correct it's like and obviously we must mention on that tip uh phil cornwell isn't it mm. who plays i can't remember the name of the dave character. clifton dave clifton this right. is what I, I think this is what i was going to oh. ask you next go on go on well <laughs> i was going to ask did is you there ever a have a dave clifton in my you, life yeah did you or have you ever had a dave clifton style nemesis 100 yeah, yeah. this is the big question sean let's go yeah. Is this one? Is this the one that's going to go viral? And of all our lovely chats, this one. And then ten o'clock news tonight. Yeah, this is a clip. This is, <laughs> let's go. Well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, to contextualise it, um, 
I, I do, I genuinely believe, it's like that episode of The Simpsons where, um, you know, that everybody has a nemesis episode and it's even Maggie's got a nemesis, which is the baby across the road and they're sort of sucking the dummies at each other. It's like, it's just part of life, isn't it? And um, I, I think that you would agree, Tom, having known me for some years, and I'm not putting tabs on myself here, it's, it's an affliction as much as anything else. I am one of the most easygoing, nice, easy to get on with people in the fucking world, right? To my immense detriment a lot of the time. I've got no boundaries. I, I'll agree, all... I'll agree. And you haven't paid me to say that, just to cl- uh, clarify for the listeners. Yet. I'm not saying it as a kind of good thing. It's like I, I, uh, I live to please other people to the colossal detriment of my own psychology. And I will end up going absolutely apeshit at some point uh, in a supermarket, you know. But until that time, uh, I've, I've got a lot of goodwill in the bank. However... There are always people that uh, Dave Clifton knew. There, there are people in all of our lives who make us feel less than. There are people in all of our lives who don't even probably know they're doing it sometimes. It's just the dynamic that you've set up. It could be in the family. It could be amongst your friendship group. It could be the people you work with. There might be one person who's your Achilles heel who just walks into the room and they deflate you. And, they make, and it's not even their fault a lot of the time. It's just it might be some preconception you've got. And to, uh, I'm going about the bushes here. There definitely have been people in, in my broadcasting life who I've, like, oh, you know, I've got, I've, oh, God. Like, um, it would have been people like, and it, I, I never used to like handing over a lot of the time to Christian O'Connell because um, he he was so successful and so brilliant and had he was, you know, clanking around with, I think he ended up with, in, he's, he's, he's gone off to, to Melbourne now. But I think before he left these shows, he had something like 24 Sony Awards or something. Now, I've got... Hang on. I haven't got any. And um, <laughs> we, 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 the nearest we got as a breakfast show back in the day was we came for... I always tell, tell this, it's not a joke, but it's a funny thing to say. We got uh, nominated for Best Breakfast Show in 2009 and we got all dressed up and we got dead excited. And we're like, this is finally happening. And this is... 12 years ago right and um of course we they give you they they do gold silver and bronze and we were none of those so we were like well we were fourth or fifth that year and that's as good as that get that on a t-shirt um you know so somebody like christian was and we we've talked about it since i interviewed him on radio four about three months ago and we had a really nice chat we he's not you know he's a he's a tricky character anyway and he was the first to say that but it was it was hard to hand over to him and his team because they would come in with such swagger and such confidence, and I was just this pleb who would just done three till six thirty a.m. and perhaps done an, a, another episode of my feature. Have I got poos for you? Where I do an impression of a famous person taking a shit, and he he would perhaps rightly be looking his down his nose a little bit, thinking, "Well, I'm fucking interviewing Tom Hanks in about an hour's time. You prick, go and get me a cup of coffee." You know, so that dynamic was definitely very present, um, and it, you know that's. I remember many moons ago, way before that, when I first started my broadcast career at XFM, so the year 2000, and I was doing these midnight to 6 a.m. shows, the person who did the show before me was Ian Lee, who you may well know. Mm -hmm. Um, A phenomenal broadcaster, who very much like me is sort of without portfolio now. It's like we're too dangerous for UK radio. Um, he's He's just brilliant. He's got like a really powerful cabal of people who love what he does and quite rightly because he's a bit of a genius but it was a little bit 
uh, Alan and um, and Dave then as well because first because I, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I literally probably had about nine hours worth of broadcast experience, and he was handing the reins of this station over to me. And he would, uh, I'd come in and he'd call me Shawnee Diamond. Here he is. Here he is. It's Shawnee Diamond. Shawnee. Shawnee, what have you got coming up for us today? And I'd just be shiting myself, you know, like almost cross eyed with panic. Uh, nothing really. You know, I've got a few. Oh, and he'd, he'd sort of have a bit of banter and take the piss, and I'd be on the back foot, you know, and, uh, with my papers everywhere and shit. And that was the dynamic, you know. And so, yeah, that, that whole Dave Clifton combative thing was definitely, I definitely saw it happening, you know. Though I didn't really have the chops to, to, to fight back to either of those guys at the time, you know. I think off the back of watching um, Alan and Dave like that, it pricked my ears up to, to, to listen out for it on air now. So I'm always very, mm. what's the word? I like to scrutinise a handover. Ooh, um, yeah. Handovers are great. They are, <laughs> I mean, you're right, yeah. they're so great to spot the handover dynamic. Can- because obviously you've got to give a certain amount of enthusiasm for the guest the next person's got on their show, but but there's a way of pitching it that you can tell they don't think that's good. You know, they know that's not. They're, they're telling you that's not good. Oh, I can't. Fun. I can't name, and I will not. There's no point going. Oh, go on. You can't goad me. There, are, I can't yeah. name names, but there are definitely people that I know. You know, you're in the biz now. Who they did dread the handovers with certain people because the because of that dynamic and because there's always somebody who they don't even know they're doing it but they're trying they're making that other person feel a bit shit like and i will throw into this conversation as a love letter to the person um some of the handovers i used to love the most i used to do a handover to chris the hawkins in the mornings which i loved and he because he was dying on his ass by the time he's handing over to me he was absolutely fucked and cross-eyed but he you know, we just have so much fun, and he'd always we don't do this stupid thing called the what did he call it now the the alphabet game. You start with A and you go down. You know, staff stuff. Or oh, Marianne Hobbs, who I used to who used to hand over to me when on the afternoons. We used to have so much warm, lovely fun. You know, it was the complete opposite of that. But you, you're right. There are some people. I I must mention it because uh, I, I know both people. So it's not in a nasty way at all. It's just an observation. But, you know, it's like when they put Simon Mayo and Joe Wiley together for a while. It's like uh, yeah. that was a that was such a massive miscue by the management. Everybody's since realised that. Um, Infamously no, did, didn't gel, did it? Yeah. And it's just such a shame for everybody involved. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? That's, that's a stupid thing to do. These two great broadcasters, you don't put them together like that. That's like, put, you know, no. But, um, but... As a listener, you, it's uh, fascinating to hear, isn't it? The dynamic fuck-up when two people don't belong together. It's like when me and Russell branded shows together, really. We used to do shows together. It was a bit like that. bit awkward. Yeah. But that was mostly because Russell was high at the time, <laughs> but also prime Russell. Like, he was, he was great, really. Uh, you know, just is there anything to drink in here, Sean? Yeah, there's tea and coffee over there, and there's a water cooler over there. No, I mean, is there anything to drink? Well, it's nine o'clock in the morning. What do you even anything to drink? Well, there's I know there's an open bottle of white wine in the fridge. I'll go and get an off. He'd totter in his cowboy boots, and he'd come back. You know, um, this is two thousand and two. It was a long time ago. But you know, again, it's the same thing. Is like uh, bosses don't understand a lot of these things they don't understand the tropical fish tank environment of a radio stage, sh- studio 
and how the introduction of one tiny thing can fuck everything up for the presenter. It, it could be an intern. Could be an intern. Oh, you've got an intern working with you this morning. They're going to be sitting next to you and taking notes unsmilingly for three hours while you're trying to do stupid jokes. Anyway, it's like, well, you've just fucked my show up, basically, because you don't understand how sensitive I am and how sensitive I am to characters in the, you know, whether they get on with me or not, whether they understand the humour or not. So Alan and Dave, it's just poetry, isn't it? I guess the interesting thing about that as well is the, the dynamic is a little different compared to some of the things you've talked about there because with Alan and Dave, they're both kind of losers. Like, you know, Alan's got the graveyard shift. He's struggling to kind of get back on top, whereas he's always mocking Dave for being an alcoholic and just kind of, he's kind of like, he's he's a questionable character at the same time. So it's a different thing, but I think ultimately... Exactly like Adam says, when you can hear those frosty handovers, that's always a very entertaining, always very entertaining listen. I love it. Um, to to chat from one spectrum of of the Sean Keaveney career to the other, just a little bit about um, kind of working in comedy. Because you have dabbled in stand up a bit over the years. Has that been and gone for you now? Would you would you ever see a return to that at all in any form? <sighs> oh, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, it, uh, I, I, oh, have I, just, have I, did I mute myself there? Am I back? No, you I'm muted. muted. Yourself now. Muted no, yourself I've, now. I, I, I'm just yeah, doing right. it. See, that was funny in itself. Um, that was a joke. Um, I got into that by accident, completely by accident, and I suppose I've always been a, a fan of stand-up comedy. Like you know, that's that's one of the ways in for me to the job that I've got. So when it, I did to some degree get. To of a bug uh, but unfortunately for me I got the bug at exactly the same time I was about to have a second ch- child and was doing a breakfast show so you if you factor in the fact that I'm not the hardest working man in showbiz in the sense that I don't I'm sorry I'm not one of those people who are I saw some some woman on Strictly at the moment who she's very good actually, but she I think she was in Dragon's Den or something, and they're making a film about her. You know, this is my week on Strictly, <laughs> and it's like uh, up at five eleven, um, two two work meetings, six o'clock, get the kids up ready for school, seven o'clock, get the kids off for school, uh, twenty past seven, three more meetings, eight o'clock, into the Strictly studios for nineteen hours of rehearsal, and the, and I was like, I. You could fucking shoot me because if that was my day on, on 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 for more than twice in my life, you just put me down like a horse that's broke its leg. That's not how I want to fucking live, right? I want to. I I. It's just not the way my brain works. So, you know, the, when I was trying to do stand up, I was trying to, and then my uh, just to be really Alan about it for a, a while. Not long after that, my marriage collapsed. So you've got a breakfast show. Two young kids, uh, no marriage, and uh, you are the, you're like the full ticket, you know. So I, but I did, I, I sort of uh, struggled on to for about five or six years, like trying to do, trying to write stand up comedy and perform it. And I had some, I did some pretty good gigs actually. And I used to do a gig every every year at Glastonbury, and it was all quite fun, you know. Not the pyramid stage, I'll give you that. But um, 
but you know, you, you, you eventually work out, especially after interviewing a lot of stand-up comedians and noticing with, with no, with no irony, their response to you, to your uh, comedy, your, your stand-up being like, you're not a real comedian, mate. How many gigs did you do last month? Well, I didn't do any last month, actually. I did, I did two the month before. You're not a stand-up there. Because, you know, it's like the Malcolm Gladwell thing. You've got to do 10... Th- you've got to, it's got to be your life, hasn't it? And you've got to do yeah. nothing but stand-up. You've got to eat it and shit it. And I did not do that. Uh, was uh, was comedy acting ever part of the mix as well? Or was it pure, purely a stab at stand-up? Or were you sort of looking to do comedy in other areas as well besides radio? I, in the end, I just wanted to do anything that was that made me that amused me, and and that I've I've suffered, not suffered, he says in his top room, you know, uh, he's got a top room. He can't have suffered that bad, but um, you know, I I, I think the the non directional quality of what I do makes it difficult to to you know. I I th- I'm a radio guy basically, but I love making people. I love making myself laugh. Really, I love writing down stupid jokes it's just like my dad i get it all from my dad my dad still sends me jokes all the time you know he's the guy who got me into it all the mm-hmm. word play and the, the dicking about but yeah i mean I, about when i was still at 210 fm uh reading's better music mix uh there were these two guys called scott and mark um uh, who were like really funny comedy writers and they they were writing these like sort of half hour comedies and we would go into the studios and and record them, you know, and I would act in inverted commas and really love that. Like a bit of Foley sound effect, a little bit of, you know, or a bit of echo on the voice there as you pretend to be a, a somebody working on a kiosk in a hotel, you know, delivering these funny lines that other people would re- I, I really loved that. So there was definitely a time where I thought maybe I could get into that a bit, but then I thought oh, I can't remember lines and I'm not very good at acting, so that's out. And then me and my mate Steve wrote a, a shitload of um, a comedy. Um, we we had this idea that we were going to write a sketch show, and I've still got a big trunk full of them. Some of them are quite good, um, and I got one of my sketches made, and I got one hundred and fifty pounds for it, and I've got it on VHS somewhere. It was in two thousand and two for the Karen Dunbar show, which is a Scottish show. She's a legend of Scottish comedy. And it was a. She was basically um, a jazz singer who always looked like she was going to sing, but then didn't sing, and then walked off. And that was the end of the sketch. Um, not that funny when you say it out loud, but it was, she did it well. You know. So then I thought, I'm, I'm going to move into that kind of comedy. I'm going to be like a sort of uh, sketch writer, possibly a performer. Um, uh, and that was what writing radio ads was about. It was like every so often I'll get a funny one away, and that'll be great. But in the end, it turned out that the best medium for me was playing songs on the radio and telling funny stories in between them you know because especially if you have a cart wall with a load of sounds and stuff on it you can actually weave these funny little worlds you know i was reminded just this morning by one of my old producers about how he had something pop up on his phone it was on this day in 2013 on the breakfast show six music that we had to tragically kill off dorothy the dolphin uh um, I'm not going to tell you any more about that, but you know that was it was another little world that we wove, you know. And you don't need to get it past commissioners, and you don't need to have co-writers, and you don't need to have floor managers and seven cameras to do it. You can just do it like that and then play. Yeah, Wolf, Wolf Mother. 
Well, <laughs> at the risk of being wanky, it feels like it's got almost a bit of a it's got a bit of a jazz element to it in that it's relatively free form. You've got re- recurring motifs. You can you know you've got stuff that yeah. you're going to do every day. You've got stuff that you're going to pull out when you feel like it. So it's it, it, it sounds like there's an appealing freedom to it. That you don't get from from much else. You're absolutely right, and everybody will tell you that. Anybody who's done a lot of radio and done a lot of television will say, "Get me back to radio," because you don't have the gatekeepers. You know, well, you actually, it turns out, you do because sometimes the gatekeepers show you the gate and say, "Walk through it and don't walk back." And that's another story that I can't go into partially because I don't understand it. But but you know, you're right. While you've got the mic. There's no, there's nothing like it. I don't think. I, 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 I was talking again to Nina Conti about it because she we was going through a lot of her. She's done so many pilots, and she was like, "These a lot of these were good ideas. I wonder why they didn't stick." You know, and we were both really genuinely postulating as to why we we failed in television. And she just sort of went, "I don't really like television that much, though. I'm not that into it. I'm more of a, I like comedy. I like live stuff. I like radio." I was like, maybe that's what it is, you know. I mean, obviously, I love watching Alan, or I love watching Forty Towers, or I love watching comedy. I, I, I do love television, but I don't really want to be on it. Yeah, and I think like, that that's the that's the key I've worked out is that I, I don't have a passion for myself for being on it. So that's probably what was missing, you know. Yeah, I mean, to to, to look again at, at sort of um, comedy and radio crossing paths in a different way. You've obviously spoken to Steve uh, a few times on the show before, and Tim Key, and other sort of people from the world of Partridge. Yeah. Uh, how how was that? Did you get a bit of an an insight into into the making of Partridge, or was it a bit of a kind of you know they're in and out the revolving door of uh, of six <laughs> music guests? Yeah, well, I would say a bit of both. Like, oh, guys, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe how a how fucked up my brain is, and b you know, like how bad my circuitry is. Like, to give you an example, just to lead into that, answering that question, one of my old interns, a, a lady called Emily, who's now a successful actor in her own right. So many people start on the on the Six Music uh, Keevney show and go on to great things. And she sent me a, t- a message the, a couple of years ago now. It was when D- Daniel Johnson had died. The great Daniel Johnson, who's a fantastic musician and beloved of everybody from Kurt Cobain to Michael Stipe, you know, very influential man, had a lot of problems and stuff, obviously. And um, I, I don't know, I retweeted a thing about Daniel Johnson, sad he's died. And Emily sent me a direct message and she said, I promise you this is relevant. And she said, uh, I just want to say, Sean, you just reminded me, it was great to work on your show and stuff and we had great times. I especially enjoyed the interview and session that you did with Daniel Johnson. And I had no recollection of doing it at all. Now, what that's about, I don't know. Whether people will play this interview back in three or four years' time after I've died of some terrible brain, you know, and they'll be like, oh, well, you did talk about that on the uh, Monkey Tennis podcast. That's sad. But I had no recollection. I mean, because it, perhaps because of how chaotic my life was, two young kids, breakfast show, no sleep, Bit too much lager at times. Just don't fucking remember it. It's like oh, yeah. we did. We did a whole session. and don't remember it. And and it's a bit like that when you. I've talked to Steve a few times now, probably at least two or three times. I remember interviewing him once, nothing to do with Alan, when he was trying to get away from Alan, and he he played some kind of rock star evil person in a in a big Hollywood movie. 
can't remember which one it was now, but maybe a Terry Gilliam directed thing. Mm-hmm. And that was like, it's just like, I don't know, I'll get, I'll get to meet Steve, you know. And then I interviewed him a bit more recently. Um, uh, uh, you know, and again, so little um, of it sticks to the walls. It's unbelievable, really. I remember being at Edinburgh Festival and um, we I was there with, with my producer, Paul Sheen, at the time, who's the biggest, apart from being an idol, idols, Flaming Lips, Steve Coogan, those are his three idols. And um, it was very funny because we just watched something and Steve Coogan was in the audience and we'd not long since interviewed Steve, Paul went off for a piss, and in that uh, four-minute window, Steve came over and we had a nice chat. You know, oh, how's it going? Yeah, not, not too bad. Yeah, yeah, did you enjoy that? Yes, I'm here with my daughter. It's always great. Yeah, it was very funny, yeah. It was Simon Amstel we were watching. And then, anyway, he walked off, and then Paul came back, and he was like, I said, oh, I've just had a lovely chat with Steve Coogan, and he, he, nearly, he nearly topped himself. <laughs> But but uh, Tim Tim Key's a bit more of an actual mate of mine, I would say, and um, it's lovely to it was lovely to see him getting woven into that universe. Because have you spoken to him on this? Have you? Well, you have. Yeah, yeah. We had a chat with him last year, I think. He's just he's 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 got a legendary comic mind himself, and he's a fucking unbelievable actor as well. We watched him mm. in art. Mm. He 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 was in uh, in the when they brought art back to the, the West End a few years ago, and he's got I can't remember. He's this, this this big ranty monologue that is in the middle of it, which a lot of actors are terrified of because one misstep of this, it's like a sort of seven minute rap, and he just utterly nailed it. And it's like you've got a bit of a supernatural talent in. But but how much the, how the fact that this, this again a bit like with Steve there's so much of Tim's personality in Sidekick Simon, it's quite funny yeah. you know and and I remember I, I'm pretty sure that I saw Steve Coogan pretty much do that sort of at some um, baby cow event at the when they were launching the Mighty Bush in 2004 and I was there drinking some dry, uh, dry white wine and I'm I, I've got it in I'm convinced I've got it embedded in my mind that I sort of saw Steve do that thing that Alan does. Which is where he goes. I'm going to talk to somebody else now, and then <laughs> walk away and talk to somebody else. I'm sure that happened in real fucking life. But is it terribly that, rude if I stop talking to you and go and talk to somebody yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there's so much of these people that are woven into their characters, but you know, obviously, most of the unpleasant stuff isn't in their real personalities. All right. Well, look, we we've got a we've got a few more things to to rattle through in terms of kind of like your thoughts on the Alan Partridge universe, as it were. But before we get to that, quickly, um, now I wonder, possibly this may be something that you won't remember uh, based on the conversation we just had. But Probably. can we talk about the Alan Titchmarsh incident? Did, did anybody else hear that? When it I, th- I think for the benefit of the listeners, d- can you just regale us with yeah. this story? <laughs> oh, this, this is thanks for bringing this up, Tom. Pleasure, uh, pleasure. PTSD, I think, is the phrase. <laughs> this this reminds me. I'm, I, 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 again, I, unreliable memoirs. Clive James called his, and I think that's a good name for mine because it's like this is the way I remember it. But definitely around that time, around 2013-ish in my life, it was very. It was it was a bit murky. Young children, uh, you know, sort of collapsed collapsed relationship, 
probably having a, you know going having a bit too much of a good time uh, getting up at 5am every morning to do this breakfast show not the most professional person all the time to be honest and the thing that's interesting about that t- well actually even when my life wasn't like that when you're doing 15 hours of, of live broadcast a week that sounds like oh you are 15 hours so I'll do 60 hours a week don't fit you know that I come from the north right that I thought 15 hours a week or what that's fuck all but I've said this before doing a, one live hour of radio is like like it's like cat like cat years you know it's like three normal hours and and so it's a, it's a lot of hard work doing that much live radio actually um and a lot of it was shit like a lot of my shows weren't very good you know there, there was a time when and the ratio would go up uh, you know, so sometimes it was like I was I was getting like nine out of ten shows were good, but then other times it was like seven out of ten, and then it may have gone down to like six at times. You know what I mean? I was like, oh my god! And around that this time you're describing, I was really I was doing some really poor shows, and I was just getting lost in just tired and confused and and not not firing on all four cylinders. And when that happens. What you, you do start to notice is that everybody else starts to be infected by it. Your producer's got fear in his eyes. Matt Everett would come in. And I remember there were times with Matt where, because he'd be hearing some of the show, it would be going so badly that sometimes he would come in and sit down and he'd look me in the eye and he'd go, you all right? Like that real concerned mate thing. And I'd, I'd know then, like, right, other people notice this is going badly as well. And the thing you're talking about, Tom, is one of these particular days, I remember it, relatively well we did we had alan titchmarsh in and he was a live guest and um i you know did this bizarre interview with him where you know he was avuncular and pleasant uh you know i didn't get as much out of him as i would if i was interviewing him now i fucking love it apart from the fact that my wife is a mad gardener and also we've created a character evil alan titchmarsh oh yeah i think you're a gardener do you I'm about having a trowel around the back of your fucking head. You know, there's a lot more there now. But at this time, I was really on my up, I was really on my back foot, panicking a bit, getting things wrong, asking the wrong questions, being a bit of a shambles. And at the end of this painful interview, I said, uh, anyway, so, and the book is out uh, now, isn't it, Alan? Yeah, yeah, it's out now. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much, Alan Partridge. <laughs> and, and he obviously thought that I was taking the piss, you know, which yeah, he would. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, you could tell he was rankled a bit, and I was, and I, but I was like, no, 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 you misunderstand. I, I didn't. I mean, Alan Patch. I mean, Alan Titchmarsh. I'm so sorry. And he sort of <laughs> walked off feeling a bit aggrieved, and 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 the listeners were like, oh, you just called him Alan Partridge, you dickhead. And it was like just another one of my broadcast lows. There's loads of yeah. them. I, I just thought that was worth uh, d- doing the research, being reminded of that. I thought I thought it was worth recounting that. Did that, pop up, did, did that pop up somewhere? Did that pop up somewhere on the it internet? Is or it, it is on the internet. It is. I think it might be on your blog from those ah, those yeah. times. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 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 I probably wrote something at the end of the breakfast show or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's right. Um, that's yeah. It. You just sign it off with fucking hell. You could have cut the air with the trowel. Yeah. <laughs> which I think. It's probably uh, accurate. <laughs> I, I should put that in uh, Sean's bouncing back. Definitely. <laughs> uh, absolutely needs to be in there. All right, so back to our favourite Alan uh, as we start to think about wrapping things up. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of the 
a lot of the Partridge vehicles we've talked about have been his TV projects with you today. Is that kind of your uh, fandom and viewership of Alan? You know, is, is it always has it always revolved around the, the TV output? Have you ever been a fan of the radio output? Uh, any thoughts on the films? Uh, obviously, we've covered the books. We know you love the podcast. I guess kind of, you know, do you, what what medium do you think yeah. Partridge suits best? I like it. I, so much. Exactly. I do like him on the telly. I do mm. like that. Is probably how I interface best with the character. Yeah, like I, I didn't. I wasn't that. I wasn't as immersed in Alpha Papa. You know, although I, although I did enjoy it, and I probably should watch it again because I, I did enjoy it. But I, I get I get too influenced by. I I, I should never read. Um, you know, critical opinion because it's like going back to the Beatles again. Uh, when I read Ian McDonald's Revolution in the Head. He managed to ruin about eleven Beatles songs for me just because he he said a couple of, you know, like oh Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds has got a bit of a boring chorus. I'm like fuck off. What? <laughs> Since I was born, I thought it was one of my favourite songs of all time. But now you mention it, it is a little bit boring actually. You know, and um, a lot of people were sort of there was a sort of received uh, wisdom, wasn't there? That you know, Alan's better with episodic television. It doesn't really stretch out very well to a film. You know, I think they say that about a lot of things that transfer from TV to film, don't they? Mm, like the conceit, yeah. the conceit's really great in small doses, but when you stretch it out, you can see the thinness of the pizza dough. And I, to an extent, I, I agree, I agree with that with the film. I wasn't, I wasn't. I thought it was just some brilliant moments in it, but that's it. It's a bit like when you watch a Simpsons movie. I always think. Like it's, yeah, you know, I will watch it, and it'll be there'll be some great stuff in it. But get me back to the series, yeah. Um, with the radio yeah. stuff, I know you know we've had this discussion though. I will probably go back to listening to like. Would you be talking about things like on the hour, like way back when? Well, like, what, I, I what think other things I, would you recommend that I probably not listen? Well, to I mean, I guess the main the the most prominent thing mm. is probably the original series of Knowing Me, Knowing You from from Radio yes. Four because that, that's the first proper Allen fronted vehicle that, that that there was which obviously was a direct continuation from the on the hour shows yeah that that is you know what i do, if i have listened to it i probably haven't in nearly 25 years or something so i probably will go back to that like it reminds me of those 210 fm days that what what i was obsessed with at the time i was i was listening to the fast show on tape you know so it's oh, that yeah. kind of yeah. era isn't it but um well, it was 1992 yeah. was knowing me knowing you on the on so radio before, 4 yeah, yeah. But that's it, like that whole, the day-to-day stuff though, oh, that, I, I just love that entry point because I love all those other performers, you know, and the, you know, the, the influence of Armando, you know, Armando Iannucci and Peter Bainham and, and, and Chris Morris uh, and, and all together and, uh, you know, all the other, the guys that worked on that, uh, Rebecca Front and all yeah. those people working together. I, I love watching him I love watching when Coogan's doing his stuff best and the, the the it just feels like everybody's performance goes up a notch. You know, like the giggling receptionist, Sophie. What's her name now? Uh, Sally Phillips. Sally Phillips. Sally Phillips yeah. Just a fucking genius. An absolute G. And the, the, the fella, I'm going to forget his name as well now, Who who's the, the other, the guy, the, the young lad who's sort of flirts with her who's, you know, I'll, I'll show you how to do the mirror trick if you want. You know, he's, oh, he's, yeah. like, he's really loose and he's really sort of sexy and Alan's oh, yeah. really, really yeah. jealous of him, uh, even though, he, you know, it's brilliant. 
that whole thing about how anything can make him small, you know. But 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 that yeah, but that era, I guess, is when I fell in the nineties. That's when I, I really fell in love with it. But I do love watching. I've, I've, luckily for me, I've got loads to get to catch up on this time, in particular. But I I, I really really enjoyed it. Uh, and, and his interface with with the actor who plays, um, you know, the sort of um, the lady who he presents with is just, oh, just uh, Susanna Fielding. She's yeah. so good, yeah. you know that whole thing, and and Lolly as well, who's who, who's who plays the, the the sort of the woman who the, the reporter who's always contradicting him, and they have that. Yeah. That's genius. Just to set those things up, he's always in opposition, and and and. But she sometimes he ta- he manages to get one back on her, and it's quite. And yeah. again, you kind of root him for him as well. It's funny you mentioned the fast show because that his bits with with Ruth with Lolly's character always struck me as being a bit fast show esque. In that it's yeah. quite it's it's one of the rare bits of Adam where it's quite a similar sketch each week, but there's just a, like a minor note variation on it that that makes it fresh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he, he, she's just contradicting him, contradicting him, contradicting him, and he sort of manages to get one back. But he always ends up kind of losing. I also think there's a really interesting parallel that's not really occurred to me before, which is some of the best uh, comedy moments come from how other characters, how other actors interact with Alan. So actually, you can kind of draw a line from Sally Phillips kind of being the giggling receptionist to Tim Key like constantly looking scared and bewildered or Susanna feeling rolling her eyes. It's all about, I think, the some of the best moments of Partridge uh, are how others around him yeah. are reacting to him. That That's where some of the best bits lie, I think, oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's like, what I love is, you know, where, it's just the vulnerability of him and the, the childlike nature of him. Like we, And the expressions, like sometimes he has this expression like it's almost like a, a combination of disgust and fear when he, when he doesn't understand something or... The, the 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 bit that I'm trying to struggle towards is, I watched it again the other day. Me old mate Simon Pegg, I forgot was in one. He's he's in the the boat video one, isn't it? He's the yeah, sort of that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. young hip director. And is it Peter Burnham who plays the guy with the voice box? Yeah, it is. That's yeah. right. And that's just one of the best bits that illustrates his character the best because. A, in in whatever in three minutes or something they, they get all this across that he's trying to impress the young sexy director the you know the young side the young hotshot he's trying to you know sort of um glad hand the client and be like a big fish in a small pond uh but at the same time he's trying to be a sophisticated he's trying to be a lad Oh, lady boys, this is it. Yes, they're all my drinks, you know, <laughs> yeah. and all that shit. Like, then we'll get down the pub and get just get rid of all these notes, you know. Oh, uh, as well as all that, he's undercutting himself in this really childlike way because he's never heard a guy. It's because, I'm... <laughs> it's because I've got no no voice cards, Alan, <laughs> and all that. It sounds a little bit like a Star Wars character or something. And he can't. He's got no filter. He's like a fucking child. He's like he's like one of my kids. He's like you can't put him in a situation. He'll just say it. You know, if somebody's in a wheelchair, it's that whole Larry David thing, isn't it? It's yeah. like, oh my yeah. fucking god, what have you said that for? You know. But it's like it's Alan. You know, everybody's just like fucking hell. But he, what a multi-layered little few minutes that is. I just can't. It's amazing to watch it. I think it's like you. It's an it's a it's a masterclass. 
Yeah, incredible. Yeah, to watch him sort of darting from one thing that he isn't to another thing that he isn't, like trying to keep all these plates spinning when he could just be himself and it would probably yeah. have worked out all right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, given that over the last 30 years he's spanned radio, books, podcasts, TV, film, etc., what would you like to see Alan tackle next? Uh, oh. Is it more is it more of the same in any of those areas, or do you think there's an there's a, a rich area for him to to pick up that he hasn't yet? Obviously, we've got the uh, the arena tour coming next year as well. Strategy, yeah. yeah, he's playing the O2, which I always think is funny because <laughs> it's it's really just Alan Partridge and Mrs Brown's boys that are that are British comedy at an O2 level, which feels very <laughs> weird to me. It's funny you should say that because the lady who runs the R2 was a big fan of our show and we went into quite deep talks about me playing the R2 and we're still talking about it. <laughs> and we just, I was like, well, wouldn't it be funny though if if I, could I just rent the R2 out but play it to 150 people and film that? <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, you could do it. It costs you about 19 grand. It's like, it's an expensive joke. Yeah, okay, I'll think about that. Um, I might crowdfund it. Yeah, it's but, like, can I, could, could you play it for 150 millionaires? There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I've got a... Maybe my demographic includes the musks of this world. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's a good question. What would I want to see him do? Like, it's like, what else? Like, you've just pointed out, he's done nearly all the milieu, hasn't he? He's done nearly everything. He's, he's not done a musical yet, as far as I know. Alan the musical, uh, you'd probably have to weave it in with all the Abba, all the new Abba shit. Mm. Um, but it's like it's like when he dabbles these days in when he like I was saying before in this time and stuff, when he's tr- desperately trying to keep up with you know uh, LGBTQ plus uh, you know sort of stuff like that. It's so great to watch him struggle because yeah. to some extent. The things that he's struggling with, culture wars or, you know, the, the sexual politics and things like that. Most of us need information on these things, you know, especially as we get older. We, we all need to be educated. We, it's not a matter of being intolerant. It's like, I don't know these things. You need to teach me. And uh, I think that's what's very, the, one of the great powers of, of, of Alan as he gets older is that he speaks to a lot of us who are like, I'm a bit confused as well. I need, I need help. You know, I need... Thank God he said something stupid and, and we can just watch and laugh, you know. But there's a real, again, there's such a deep well of truth in it that I'd love to see him do a wellness podcast or something, you know. I mean, he's probably mm. already sort of done that, you know. But but do more of that kind of thing where he's just blundering into territory that he has no idea about. It's a bit like me, really, again. <laughs> art imitates life, imitates art. Well, that's actually, Sean, I think that's actually the perfect time to probably wrap up our yeah. Partridge chat and give you a, a little moment to just tell our listeners about what you are working on at the moment. Seamless. Like, you oh, queued that up perfectly for I us. I did. You knew it was coming. Oh, it, it's like um, Ken Bruce. And uh, you've got 30 seconds to tell everybody, uh, to say hello to everybody you know. Um, I, I, my current uh, venture, the, the lineup, the the podcast The Lineup is doing quite well. It's basically like a fantasy festival podcast. It's just me interviewing various big names about I'm the festival genie, that wherever you get your podcasts. I'm really excited about my new thing coming out, probably New Year now, which is Sean Keaveney's Creative Cul-de-Sac, which is more or less me talking through all my failed ideas uh, in the top room, a bit like the host house, but with less budget. Uh, <laughs> and then we do that with a with a with a, a 
a guest as well. We've had people like Samira Ahmed, uh, Vic Reeves. Um, oh, some really great names have already done it. Uh, the aforementioned Nina Conti. Loads of other people are up for doing it. We've got Bob Dylan and Michelle Obama coming up. Um, you know, possible... Uh, you know, you'll, you'll see me popping up on stuff on Radio 4 and everything. And without portfolio on the radio, I'm always interested in offers, especially from Ocean FM. Um, if there are any car dealers out there who let me have a Gullwing Tesla I, with my name on the side of it, I'm amenable to offers. Well, if if anything comes in, we'll we'll send that your way. If we Would get any you? emails, yeah, yeah, that's thank fine. you very much. It's very kind of you guys. It's been a real pleasure, and thanks for asking me to do this. I'm sorry I've gone on so much. It's been great. Thanks for coming on. We really yeah. we really appreciate it. We're we're here for the stories, getting an early take on the memoirs, basically. Yeah, it's a little preview. Bouncing back, motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, and speaking of projects on the go, presumably the royalties will start trickling back in from your uh, 2016 Christmas song uh, in the near <laughs> yeah. future as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. My mum's, my mother said the uh, the other day when I last rang her up, well, are you, you're going to get your Christmas song back out and get that in the charts, aren't you? I was like, fuck, I forgot I'd done one of those. Yeah. We got Rod Stewart on it for crying out loud. Rod Stewart and Mark King are on that. There you, you go. You know what I mean? Matt Everett um, is on that. The Matt Everett. Oh, the you, Matt you, Everett. You can't win them all, can you? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, watch out for that. Unfortunately, as a publisher told me when I tried to get money out of it, unfortunately, Sean, you've written a, a Christmas song that is basically the same title as one of the biggest Christmas songs of all time, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You. So if you could change that, you might make some more money. Oh, so, I would I would have thought you'd get a lot of royalties just for mistaken identity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they didn't think about that, did they? Well, I'll tell you what, we can pop it. We can pop a link to it in the in the show notes, just to really st- start getting the streams up now. Beginning of November, it's about right. It's kid- the official start of Christmas. Yeah, More yeah, than yeah. Starbucks red cups. That's yeah. it. My kids always take the piss because you look at it on Spotify, and it's still got less than a thousand listens. So uh, right, we're going to change that. We can get it over like a thousand. Listener, that's a yeah. listener campaign. If right. if everyone that listens to this podcast yeah. this week can also stream that track, yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. All we, want, all we want for Christmas is for you to listen to Please Don't Get Me Anything for Christmas by Sean Keaveney and Vince Beef. <laughs> That's it. He's got it. He's got it. Thank you very much. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Damn! Monkey tennis? Little pierce my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. No. Monkey tennis? Radical. Awesome. Mega! Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmonds is a total wazzard of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. I said, who the hell is that? This is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.